a very royal welcome to our livre ouvert with me, Avanti Victoire. The 8th of September marks the first death anniversary of perhaps Britain's most beloved monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. As far as British monarchs go, my personal favourite is Queen Elizabeth I for going against the flow. But Queen Elizabeth II is loved precisely for the opposite reasons, which is for going with the flow and accepting the change in times. For instance, in private the Queen might have remained vehemently opposed to gay marriage, and yet, when gay marriage was finally passed in Britain, she declared, Well, who would have thought, 62 years ago, when I came to the throne, I'd be signing something like this? Isn't it wonderful? All right, that was my terrible imitation of the Queen. But the point still remains that the Queen, irrespective of her personal opinions, managed to carefully craft her messages to her audiences, and those messages were aligned with her government. While royalty and monarchs might have been chased all over Europe, one family has managed to stay the course because of their remarkable ability to ingratiate themselves, to adapt and to adjust to governments of the left, the right or the centre, and their populations too. More importantly, the British royal family has managed to create a sense of nationhood. Other monarchs have actually been wiped out because of their inability to create this sense of nationhood. Take, for instance, the Romanov dynasty that ruled over 170 million people, but less than 50% of those people who lived in their realms fell under the definitions of ethnic Russians. Their failure to create a sense of nationhood and imperial identity led to the Russian Revolution of 1905. Not to mention the fact that the Romanovs were rigid. They refused to adapt, refused to understand their populations. They were so detached from the reality of their populations and what their populations were thinking or what they wanted. Likewise, when the French Revolution swept across France, Louis XVI, the King of France, was completely detached from his populations. Both Louis XVI and the Romanovs met the fate of their angry masses. Louis ended up getting guillotined and the Romanovs were executed by a firing squad. But the British monarchy has managed to survive turbulent times and even thrive. And that, ladies and gentlemen, you can like it or lump it, but that is the beauty of the British monarchy. After her father's sudden demise in 1952, Queen Elizabeth II, then aged barely 25, ascended the throne and sat put for 70 years and 214 days. For instance, the British historian David Starkey describes Queen Victoria's coronation as a shambles in his own words. From horses bolting to the Archbishop of Canterbury struggling to get the ring up Queen Victoria's fourth finger, the whole ceremony left everyone rolling in the aisles. In stark contrast, Queen Elizabeth II's entire life was so beautifully put together, and that, the historian David Starkey says, is all thanks to democracy. The interesting thing to observe is that during Queen Elizabeth II's coronation, there were about 40,000 troops present, but during her funeral, there were barely 6,000. That itself is proof that the British military has downsized to a great extent. 
The other notable thing was that there were only two people who read lessons during her funeral. One, of course, was the then Prime Minister Liz Truss, but the other was the Secretary General of the Commonwealth, Baroness Scotland. That should give us a gist of how important the Commonwealth was to the Queen. Now, the Commonwealth, of course, is deeply rooted in colonisation. And while a lot of people are sick and tired of discussing colonisation, or slavery for that matter, there are certain aspects of colonisation and slavery that are misunderstood, or perhaps not understood at all, by many people across the globe. So what is the Commonwealth? As one person put it, the only thing common about the Commonwealth was the lack of wealth amongst the common people. But jokes apart, the Commonwealth has about 21 African countries, 13 Caribbean and American countries, 11 Pacific Island countries, 8 Asian countries and 3 European countries. Born from the fading glimmer of the empire, the Commonwealth was meant to be a tool of diplomacy with which the Queen could exert her soft power. The only trouble was the common people of the Commonwealth saw this as whitewashing the brutal history of British colonialism, as well as a terrible hangover of British imperialism across the globe. I vividly recall the Queen's visit to India to mark the 50th anniversary celebrations of India's independence in 1997. It was the first time the Queen made a reference to difficult episodes of colonial history. She went on to explain it is no secret there have been some difficult episodes in our past. Jallianwala Bagh is a distressing example. The Queen, of course, offered no apology for this distressing example. The Jallianwala Bagh massacre perfectly describes British brutality in India that very few people speak of. Jallianwala Bagh was an enclosed public space in the holy city of Amritsar. Thousands of people had gathered in this enclosure to celebrate Punjabi New Year, which is Baisakhi, as well as the onset of spring in India. But trouble came to all those who had gathered there because there was a ban on public gatherings, as well as curfew hours to be respected. On 13th April 1919, General Dyer marched his soldiers to the enclosure in Jallianwala Bagh, blocked the exits and ordered his soldiers to open fire on the crowd until they dispersed. This distressing example, as the Queen put it, cost the lives of 379 people, by British accounts. By Indian accounts, the figure runs well into 1,000 people. Queen Elizabeth II was known to be awkward in more than one ways, and she let that shine beautifully in India when she contested the number of dead people as opposed to simply acknowledging the massacre and offering an apology for the crimes committed under the reign of her ancestors. One might argue that society doesn't demand of a child to apologise for the wrongdoings of its parents. However, the British monarchy functions on the principle of hereditary. To put it simply, if I get parachuted into the board of directors of a company simply because of my daddy dearest, then I am accountable for his incompetence, or even worse, crimes. In that same vein, those who ascend the throne merely because of their birthright must bear responsibility for their past. The Jallianwala massacre is just one of the many cases where this is relevant.
Even worse, to add insult to injury, the general in question was never even punished for his crimes. The Jallianwala-Bag massacre proved to be a decisive turning point in Indian history and even the liberal leaders now marched on for independence. The Queen's comments, of course, were in 1997, but it's not just the Queen. Even Prince Charles, then Prince Charles, now King Charles, in his speeches delivered in Ghana in 2018, in Barbados in 2021 and in Rwanda in 2022, Charles expressed regret and sorrow over colonial slavery, but there was no word of reparatory justice. To make matters worse, in 2018, to be precise, on 9th February 2018, the HM Treasury, Her Majesty's Treasury, tweeted, Here's today's surprising Friday fact. Millions of you helped end the slave trade through your taxes. The tweet then went on to explain in this clever bubble that said, Did you know... In 1833, Britain used £20 million, which is 40% of its national budget, to buy freedom for all slaves in the empire. The amount of money borrowed for Slavery Abolition Act was so large that it wasn't paid until 2015, which means that living British citizens helped pay to end the slave trade. Sounded absolutely fabulous, but if you checked you would realise how frivolous that fact was. Because that 20 million that was paid was paid to 46,000 slave owners to compensate them for the loss of their human property. This so-called ending slavery also came with a special six-year contract that was given to slave owners where the slaves had to work for 45 hours a week with no pay. I should add, all of this is freely and publicly available on the website of the University College London's Legacy of British Slave Ownership Project. The principle of hereditary often tends to blind people. And the British monarchy's roots go back all the way 1,200 years ago to Edward Longshanks. It is widely believed that Edward Longshanks is Queen Elizabeth II's 19th great-grandfather. For those of you who follow films more than history, you've probably seen Braveheart and there is a reference to Edward Longshanks, the Hammer of the Scots. Back in 1250, Edward I, known fondly as Longshanks because of his imposing height, wanted to build his narrative in Scotland, Wales and Ireland. Before his hammer fell on the perverse Scots, his eye was fixed on the Welsh and he demanded that they pay homage to him. However, when Llewellyn ap Griffith, the grandson of Llewellyn the Great, refused to submit to his demands, Longshanks was livid and launched a brutal attack on Snowdonia. Longshanks had the force to put them out for good, but he was not above malice. On a fateful December night, Llewellyn fell prey to treachery. He was ambushed and killed. His severed head was sent off to London as a medieval war trophy and paraded through the cheering crowds on the street until it was finally put on a pike and displayed in the Tower of London. His death paved the way for a new narrative and Longshanks lost no time to mark his newly acquired property. The past was put to rest when Conway Abbey, the traditional resting place of the dead Welsh kings, was razed to the ground and on that very site, Conway Castle was built. 
Lastly, to prove his point of English dominance over the Welsh, Longshanks built the colossal Carnarvon Castle. When his son Edward II was born in Carnarvon, the title of Tywysoc Cymru, or Prince of Wales, was conferred upon him. Since then, every male heir to the kingdom's throne bears the title of the slain Welsh hero. 700 years on, the title remains the most celebrated and perhaps the most admired. Few think of it as unjust or unfair, merely history taking its course. So cheers to Charles III, once Tywysoc Cymru, now the King of the United Kingdom.